Welcome to Alley and Passero. My name's Alan Alley with not Jim Passero and not James Ball, who are usually with me every week. They are taking Easter off. But I had some things that I wanted to talk to folks about today, and we'll use this kind of interactive medium that I've got where I'll post some things and do some screen sharing with you so you can follow along with what I'm doing. And then we'll edit that out for the podcast that we'll do later on. So I hope you're all having a wonderful um, Easter holiday with your family and friends. It's especially important this time because we actually have been very much aware of what we lose when we lose our ability to share with family and friends as we have for this past year. So what I wanted to talk about was something that we posted on Facebook. It had a pretty big reaction. And that was the media's response to the Georgia voting law bill and then law that was passed, Senate Bill 202. And it's a, it's a theme that I have been talking about every week where the media takes something, takes a point of view, blows it way out of proportion, does not give balanced coverage in general. And then the reaction to it is this over the top kind of cancel culture reaction. It's something that I um, really am fearful of for the country. And one of the reasons that we do this show that I try to present the other side of the coin. I try to present another point of view in an open-minded, open-ended discussion. Um, I, I do realize that I am a conservative and I have a different point of view. And thank goodness my liberal friends out there keep reminding me of that because that's, that's what's important about this is that to not get siloed into just your view of the world but to talk about the other person's view of the world and why they have that other view of the world. I'm gonna start by going back a little bit. It was about six months ago when um, Black Lives Matter, which I think is another important topic and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Do Matter. Uh, when Black Lives Matter came out and everybody was making donations to Black Lives Matter and I thought, hmm, maybe that would be something that I'd like to do. So I did some research and I, I did what we call an engineering as a pipe cleaner. That's where you, you do something, you experiment with it, you prototype it, and then you look at the results and then you modify and, and do it again. What I did was I donated a dollar on the Black Lives Matter website. And that dollar went through a very circuitous route. And what I was trying to verify was, did my dollar actually go to Democratic candidates or did it go to an organization of Black Lives Matter that were doing things for um, Black people um, to move forward? And uh, what I found was my dollar, after a very circuitous route, ended up at an organization called Thousand Currents. Now, if you Google Thousand Currents and you go to Thousand Currents, you'll find that it is a extremely left-wing organization, anti-capitalism, anti-Republican, anti-everything that, that I certainly stand for. 
And that's where my dollar ended up. And then it goes dark because it's a 501c, whatever it is. And they can donate money to whomever they want, and it's not disclosed. So I never determined that my dollar went to Democratic candidates, but it certainly went to a place that could then donate to Democratic candidates, if you follow my reasoning. But it did not go to an organization called Black Lives Matter. I didn't donate anymore, obviously. Um, the media narrative around that absolutely defended that scenario that the donations were going to legitimate causes. They very carefully gerrymandered around. It didn't actually go to a Democratic uh, candidate or candidacy, didn't go to a Democratic campaign but it went to this place called Thousand Currents. And you can Google Thousand Currents and go check it out. And it really bothered me that my process that I went through and that I had traced my money to this organization was completely dismissed. I was a heretic. I was ridiculous. You know, Alan, get over it. That's a, you've, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not the point. Well, the point was... I tried to donate to an organization that was doing good things for black and indigenous people. And it went to an organization that I know nothing about. And the point that I'm making is that was a, that was a media narrative that was created in the media. And once it was created, people fed off that to the point where you, you couldn't say anything about it or you were hunted down with, pitchforks, tar, and a noose, and hung up and canceled. Um, the same thing is happening with the uh, voter law that was passed in Georgia. And what I want to do in the next 30 minutes or so is go through and talk to you about the work that I did on the Georgia election in 2020, what I found, some of the papers that I read, what the law says, what the law addresses, and kind of give you the other side of the coin there, just like we did with the donation to Black Lives Matter. We'll get back to that after we take a break. This is Allie and Pacero with her friend James Ball on Easter Sunday. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero. This is Alan Alley. Uh, Jim Pacero and James Ball are taking the holiday off, as I hope all of you are. Uh, I'm dressed for it. I'll be going out with my family in about an hour here, but I did want to talk to you about uh, some very serious topics. So the voting law in Georgia. When the first controversy started was right after the election. And uh, the, there was discussion about whether or not the vote in Georgia was uh, tampered with, invalid, uh, what were the questions around it? Uh, why or why not were the votes counted the way they were? What, what, there was a lot of controversy around it. Now, some people will say uh, that controversy was something that uh, wasn't warranted. Some people will say it was absolutely warranted. But let's rewind and talk about the situation that we're in. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And... Uh, States all over the country 
responded to that pandemic in various ways. Now in Oregon, we're very, very fortunate that we have vote by mail. We didn't have to change anything. You just receive your ballot in the mail, fill it out, sign it, send it in. Um, it works pretty well. It was actually audited by our Republican Secretary of State, Dennis Richardson. He found very little fraud. I've been a supporter of vote by mail. I think we're very fortunate to have it. But many, many, many states, states that I've lived in, don't have vote by mail. Or they have absentee voting by mail, but basically nothing else. Georgia is one of those states. Georgia changed all kinds of things uh, to accommodate the uh, voting with COVID. And I don't know all of those things, but like many states, they added drop boxes, they opened up hours, they, they did all kinds of things to accommodate people and had an unprecedented turnout, unprecedented uh, ballots turned in um, by alternative methods. And it stressed the systems that were in place in all of these other states, not in Oregon, but in all these other states. Um, as a result of that, there were uh, some lawsuits filed. They went through the court system. The, the different state legislatures had to certify the results, and they did. And the election's over. Joe Biden's our president. Uh, at the time that there was uh, the analysis done, I've just shared with you a uh, document that was written by uh, Professor John Lott about the uh, presidential election. And I got a hold of this in December when this was going on. Now, his, uh, his paper came out in December, which is a little late because we were deep into the certification process. But if you read through it, and I'd, I'd encourage you to do it, um, we get down to this part here about Georgia. And there's a lot of numbers in this, and I happen to be a numbers guy. The, the core of his case that he presented was this, about precincts in Fulton County. Now, Fulton County is the uh, county that includes Atlanta in it. Um, compared with precincts in adjoining counties and how the results in the Fulton County didn't match the results in those adjoining counties. And not a bad way to look at things as you pick through it. There's all kinds of ways to do this and to verify it. Uh, there's tools online. I'll show you another tool that I use to, uh, to verify this that, um, I'm sorry, I was, I was playing with Zoom. I used another tool to verify this. And um, the bottom line was that voting patterns in adjoining counties were different than voting patterns in the Fulton County precinct. Um, he gives a very cogent argument of it. I went in and looked and I couldn't tell from the published data whether or not what he was talking about was valid. But the interesting thing is, is that I would have to say that the, um, 
that the data from Georgia is so bad, it's difficult to tell exactly what's going on. You, you can't really identify um, the patterns. Uh, things like precinct names change. Um, things like uh, the number of valid voters in a precinct are different depending upon what source you go to. It's very messed up. And my conclusion was, hmm, Georgia has some real problems. Georgia is, uh, has problems that, that we don't have here in Oregon. And it, it really highlighted for me that Georgia was kind of out of control, like a car just careening down the, the path. If you don't have consistent precinct numbers, if you don't have consistent reporting of data, if the data doesn't match county to county, you've got some real problems. And that was my conclusion back in, in December. Uh, I think what happened is the Georgia legislature saw that and the Georgia legislature is responsible for um, for that, uh, for monitoring that election and also for certifying that election. And the Georgia legislature went in and said, you know what, we have, we have to do something here. And the result was Senate Bill 202. We're gonna take a break right now and we'll come back. We'll talk about Senate Bill 202. This is Ali Impicero with her friend James Ball. Happy Easter. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero. I am Alan Alley. Jim Pacero and James Ball are on sabbatical for the uh, Easter holiday. I hope you're having a wonderful Easter. We're talking about the elections and we're talking about uh, Georgia and what they did in Georgia. I'm going to go now and look at Senate Bill 202. And this is the, the one that's been uh, resoundly <laughs> panned in the media um, and, and look at some of the provisions that they found in uh, Senate Bill 202. So if you read through the preamble to Senate Bill 202, um, they go through and they look at some of the issues that they had. And, Here is Senate Bill 202. And you read through this, um, and I'm trying to get down to that. There we go. It starts off with things like comprehensive revised elections. Um, They put in a nonpartisan 
elections officer rather than the secretary of state. Um, they talk about what happened during the election and I'm trying to get down to the part where they do that. There we go. Following the elections of 2018 and 2020, there's a significant lack of confidence in Georgia's election systems. There was, and I verified that in the studies that I did. There were many court challenges. You all know that. The stress of the elections was dramatic with a dramatic increase in absentee ballots. You know that as well. And many of these states, Georgia included, you might have five or 10% absentee ballots. They had 50, 60, 70% absentee ballots, and they just weren't set up for it. Um, there's lack of elector confidence. That's voter con elector. They use the word elector, voter confidence. There absolutely was. Um, broad discretion was allowed to local officials. So the, the way that they conducted voting in Georgia left broad discretion to local officials on how to do that. Um, Oregon, there's not, you send out the ballots, you, you get them back in. Vote by mail solves a lot of these problems. Um, there was grant money sent out to help them with the election. The grant money wasn't sent out uniformly and it wasn't sent out to the counties that needed it the most. Uh, the election process, uh, public participation is encouraged by all involved. Um, there were, since the election process was so chaotic, there were ways to sort of short circuit that election process that became known. And it looks like some people were trying to do that. The elector, the lengthy absentee ballot process led to confusion in Oregon, remember, we send the ballots out. Everybody knows when they're sent out. We have a certain number of days to send them back in. Actually, we record your name and report it back out. It's a very thoughtful process that we have. They don't have any of that. They just sent out the ballots. Um, this is another point that, that people have talked about. As I understand it, Georgia never had drop boxes. Because if you think about it, absentee ballots were a very small number of ballots most of the voting was you went to the polling place. So when you have a very small number of absentee ballots, why do you need drop boxes? Well, you don't. Well, they instituted these changes and they instituted drop boxes. And it was very helter skelter and it was very random. And the way the boxes were sent out, who managed the boxes and how they were picked up, who watched over the boxes, it was, it was completely open loop. This new law puts in place provisions for managing those drop boxes. Now, what's been reported in the media is they are outlawing drop boxes or are they are cutting back on drop boxes. There were no drop boxes in Georgia before 2020. Um, they had a bunch of runoff elections and all these things that all kind of comes down to um, the changes that they made. So when you read through that preamble, if you're a legislator, if you live in Georgia, you can imagine that you would not be happy with the way the election was conducted. Uh, there were long lines 
in, in some areas. And in those long lines, there were people approaching people in the line, lobbying those people about their vote and maybe giving them something like food or water. Um, there's not supposed to be long lines. It's not supposed to work that way. And you're certainly not supposed to approach people in those long lines, bringing them food and water. Now, the other thing is, I'm going to tell you, I don't think the Republican legislature in Georgia has um, an angel halo over their head either. This is politics. Uh, legislators do political things and they do things that are benefiting their political party. But in this case, we have an election process that was shown to be completely shattered by these new rules, these new rules of COVID voting. You can't just roll forward and don't do anything. Now, you're gonna change the rules to make it, to have a more auditable, fair process, but you have a partisan legislature that is gonna change those rules. If they change rules in Oregon, guess what? They're gonna be rules in favor of, of the Democrats. Um, the rules are being changed. The rules are being changed to have a more auditable process. Are they going to be biased toward the Republicans? Probably so, probably so. But the way the media is portraying this is Georgia had a valid, solid, auditable election process. That valid, solid, audible election process is being blown up by the Republicans to change it to a process that's hotwired for the Republicans. That's what you'd get if you were listening to the media. That's not true. That absolutely isn't true. And, and that's what ticks me off. Um, we can go through all the, the details in here. There's a superintendent that's created that's a nonpartisan position. I don't know why they did this because they have a, uh, a Republican secretary of state. But if you think about it from a, an Oregon standpoint, would our democratic legislature ever create a nonpartisan superintendent of elections and take it away from Shamia Fagan, our secretary of state? Mm, I don't think so. They're talking about trying to create, in Oregon, they're trying, talking about trying to create a nonpartisan uh, board to do redistricting and take it away from the Secretary of State. Are they gonna do that? I don't think so. But that's what they did in Georgia, that, uh, remarkably enough. Um, they put a voter hotline in place right here that complaints and reports, anonymous tips, voter intimidation, election fraud. Is a voter hotline such a bad idea? I don't think so. That sounds like a pretty good idea. So if you think that, that you have been, your voting rights have been abridged, you now have a hotline in Georgia. Seems like a pretty good idea to me. Um, there's a state board to be created. Chairperson elected by the General Assembly, not, not uh, the Secretary of State. Um, the one of the things that I thought uh, 
was interesting <clears throat> about the chairperson is uh, the, the chairperson shall be nonpartisan. Okay, great. What, what does nonpartisan mean? Um, they shall not actively participate in a political party organization in the campaign for a candidate for public office, nor should they make any contributions to a candidate for public office. Furthermore, they must qualify for appointment as chairperson in the two years immediately preceding um, has not been a partisan candidate for public office. It's pretty nonpartisan. They do a pretty good job of outlining that. We're going to get back and continue on this. And I know this isn't the kind of thing that you're going to see in the mainstream media. To some of you, it's boring. But I wanted to walk through it with you to show you that this information is out there. You can pull up this information. It's not that hard to read through it. You can form your own opinions and discuss it with your friends. And that's what I'm trying to promote. This is Ali Ampsero with our friend James Ball. Happy Easter. The Portland spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Alley and Pacero. This is Alan Alley with Jim Pacero and James Wall. Jim and James are off for Easter, and we're going through the tedious review of the Georgia elections bill, uh, Senate Bill 202. We're uh, down here now <clears throat> talking about the term of the chairperson. Um, we'll get down and find out about giving water to people online. Uh, this is how you put people on the board, three members, meetings of the board. There we go. Oh, <clears throat> so after the following provisions are set forth, the uh, state election board may suspend county or municipal superintendents, appoint individuals to serve as temporary superintendents of a jurisdiction. So <clears throat> what that means is they've taken a completely different approach. In Oregon, we have a very central approach. We're going to vote by mail. This is how you do it. And then the counties administer that. What they've done is said, we're going to have a central system. We're going to set out these rules. But if you screw up these rules, this board can appoint somebody to take over for you. Um, very unusual, I think. I, I haven't heard of another one like this. But when you had uh, counties with all these irregularities, with these enormously long lines, um, this would allow the state to step in, the state board to step in and look at that. So let's look at these counties. <clears throat> and the tool that I'm gonna show you is a tool that's available online. And let me try to share my screen for you here. There we go. Okay, this is a tool that's available online, believe it or not. 
Um, this is Georgia and it has all the population for Georgia. Those are the counties that are outlined in color there, all the way down to the precincts. So what we're gonna do is zoom up here and that funny shaped thing right in here, this is Fulton County. So if I go over here and I select counties, uh, Fulton County, if you look over on the right, <clears throat> is uh, 721,000 people, 325,000 whites, 332,000 black, Democrats, 274,000, about 66%, Republicans, 31%. It's sort of our Multnomah County, except it's not quite, Multnomah County is even more Democratic than this. So, <clears throat> If there are problems in Fulton County, um, Fulton County is majority non-white. Yes, Fulton County is a majority non-white. The, the first blame that you'd have to lay at the feet is the people that run Fulton County. Now, I didn't pull up the Fulton County commissioners. Um, I don't know what the makeup of uh, Fulton County is, but <clears throat> all the data that you'd ever want to know is right here. And one of the interesting things is uh, this composite vote uh, over on the right-hand side of 2012, 2018, that's how the county voted in those years, 2012 to 2018. That's actual recorded history of the votes. The the some of the precincts that were um, in question are up here. So this one right here, uh, let me change over to precincts. <clears throat> there we go. So this precinct is overwhelmingly Republican, 76% to 20%. That paper that I showed you at the beginning of the discussion was comparing the voting patterns of this precinct to this precinct, this precinct, this precinct, and this precinct over here, these surrounding precincts in an adjoining county to compare how did Fulton County, which is overwhelmingly democratic, but this precinct, this little piece of Fulton County is overwhelmingly Republican. How did Fulton County report the votes of this little precinct compared to the surrounding little precincts in an adjacent county? Not a bad way to validate because it, you would assume that the patterns of voting in these surrounding precincts, if the demographics are the same and they seem to be, that's, yes, these are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly white precincts, 80% um, Republican. This one is 77% Republican. You'd expect the voting patterns to be similar. And what that scholarly paper that I showed you earlier said, the patterns weren't the same, especially with the late votes and the absentee votes. Now, am I drawing a conclusion that there was fraud or anything else? No. But what I'm telling you is 
There are tools like this one that you can use to investigate and to figure out what's going on and why it's going on. And that the legislature um, did that. And they said, you know what? We need to make some changes. Um, earlier, I said, look, I'm not saying that, uh, the, that the Republican legislature is completely unbiased. It's, it's not. Um, the Republican legislature is going to do things that favor the Republican legislature. But let me go back and review the Democratic legislature in Oregon does things that favor the Democratic legislature all the time. Uh, for example, we're going to have a campaign finance limitation put on. Currently in Oregon, there is no limitation on donations to candidates private, from an individual or for a corporation. Uh, that allows Phil Knight to give a million dollars to Newt Bueller. We now have campaign finance rules. It's going to limit Phil Knight giving a million dollars to Newt Bueller. But what it's not going to limit is what the public employee unions can give to candidates. So the Democrats put that on the ballot. They got it passed. It favors the Democrats. That's the way politics work. Um, some of the things in this, I do think, will favor Republicans. Some of the things in this are just good governance and things that we need to do. Um, so that was the section on you can suspend um, superintendents. Let's look up, let's find water. Because water is a, a big controversy in this. <laughs> so, so people should not solicit votes in any manner, by any means, nor shall any person distribute, display, campaign material, nor shall any person offer to give, participate in the giving of money or gifts, including but not limited food, drink to an elector, nor shall you solicit signatures for a petition or anything else. So <clears throat> most of this stuff is absolutely standard in places that I've lived where you go to a polling place, there's all these rules about you can't set up booths, you can't set up signs, you can't even be within 150 feet of a polling place. So practically speaking, in all of these other states, nobody can get within 150 feet of a polling place. Um, the whole concept of, I, I don't know where this controversy about giving water, I never was waiting in line even if I waited 20 or 30 minutes in the line, which was probably the longest I ever waited. Um, the whole concept of somebody giving me water, it, it's, it's very much treated in these polling places, it's very much treated that you don't approach someone, you don't talk to somebody because lobbying somebody for their vote is absolutely forbidden. There are no signs. You can't carry signs. You can't cheer. You can't demonstrate. So first of all, you shouldn't have long lines if you run your election right. Um, the long lines were an artifact of this uh, COVID situation that they had. 
Section E, the code should not be construed to prohibit a poll officer from distributing materials as required by law, which are necessary, um, or from making available self-service water from an unattended receptacle to an elector waiting to vote in line. So um, you can set up water for people to come and, and take the water, but you can't lobby people. This also appears to be in response to, I would infer that Georgia had problems with people lobbying people at the polling places. There's information in here. I think there's information about voter ID. Let me see if I can find that. Here is. If any person applying absentee ballot shall make an application in writing in the form of Secretary of State in order to confirm the identity, voters shall require the elector to provide his or her name, birth date, registered address, uh, where it should be mailed. If the elector does not have a Georgia driver's license or ID card, the elector shall affirm the fact in the manner prescribed in the application. The elector shall provide a copy of the form. It's just a way to make sure that people that are voting are citizens, not just residents, because citizens have the right to vote. Residents don't. Um, it appears that Georgia didn't have any of this in place. And again, remember, for an absent... Absentee ballots were a tiny, tiny fraction of the Georgia electorate before COVID-19. Absentee ballots became a large chunk of the Georgia electorate. In fact, I think I actually have some information on that. Yeah, here's some uh, examples. So uh, here's just, I just randomly, here's Avery County in Georgia. Um, and here were the votes cast on election day, 532, uh, oh, this is Avery precinct, 532 votes cast on election day, advanced voting, 1600 absentee by mail, 750. So a vast majority of the votes in this precinct. And you can see, as we look through here, Many, many, many of these precincts are exactly the same way. Um, so let me see if I can find uh, one of the Fulton County precincts. ML01. Oh, this is a different county, so I won't be able to do that. Um, but you can see there was a dramatic change in voting behavior, uh, a seat change in voting behavior. Here's another one, Air Acres. On election day, 575 people uh, voted. Advanced voting was 1,100 absentee voting. Now, if you look at how that broke down, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, just one precinct randomly here. On election day, 417 voted for uh, Trump. 745 advanced, 345 absentee. You look at the percentage of votes, uh, half of the Biden votes were absentee. You know, uh, a, a sixth of the votes uh, for Trump. But the bottom line was 
they dealt with something that they had never dealt with before. This was an election that, that tore apart their process. This bill was an attempt to get it back into some kind of manageable process. Now, we can debate if they should have gone to vote by mail, probably should have, um, but this is their attempt to do that. Now, when we roll forward, will those lines be reduced? Will we have better auditability of the results? You can see from these results that things were a pretty big mess in Georgia and uh, they didn't really know, know how to handle that. I'll come back in a minute. Uh, we'll do one more segment on this, then we'll wrap it up. Happy Easter. This is Ali and Pacero with a friend, James Ball. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with our friend, James Ball. We're talking about the, or I'm talking about the election in Georgia and Senate Bill 202 that has been universally panned in the media. And we're just walking through it today, uh, getting people familiar with it. You can go to my Facebook page and there's links to it. Um, and you can, you can take a look at this information yourself. So the, the question is, where do we go forward from here? And what happened? So the media created a narrative. Joe Biden created a narrative that this is Jim Crow laws. That it's an abomination. That the media jumped all over it. The New York Times jumped all over it. And it became untenable for anybody to take an opposing point of view like I have today um, to the media. Uh, the CEO of Delta Airlines, uh, Major League Baseball, the CEO of Coca-Cola, rather than their little lone voice. And oh, by the way, being the CEO of a major corporation does not exactly make you the most sympathetic character uh, in today's America. But rather than push back and have a thoughtful discussion about this, because if I'm the CEO of Coca-Cola, I can't afford to go through all this with you and have this kind of discussion. If I'm the, the governor of Georgia did some of this in, in his discussion, that was, that was his job to do that. But it was easier for them to just roll over and go, oh yeah, Never mind, they're horrible, terrible people. You know, we disavow, we're done, right? Just to get through it. Major League Baseball, pull the all-star game out. Rather than have an open and honest discussion, and that's the thing that I am most concerned about, that the discussions like this, and I know this is way too wonky, and I know that, it's not soundbited down to something that somebody can grab onto. But I really want to encourage people to, to say, hey, let's slow down. Let's look at this. Let's have these discussions. Let's get source documentation. Let's compare notes on this. Let's dig into some of the background. And you can see just from what I've showed you that I've, I've been pretty thoughtful in this process to dig into it and go through it. Do I find things in this that are biased to Republicans? Yes. Um, 
But in general, this is something that needed to happen because their process was clearly broken and completely out of control. And I'm telling you, if this was in Oregon and the Democrats were running the process, from what I've seen, from what the Democrats have done, it would have been dramatically worse in favor of the Democrats. So the message is, do your research. Don't take the media at face value. Go back and look at source documentation. And I'll keep providing things on my Facebook page where you can look at the original video or you can dig in and look at the original information. Be thoughtful about your discussion and please try to be open-minded when you're talking about these things with your friends and share them and exchange that information because it's only through that dialogue and that sharing of information and understanding the background of people and why we're taking these positions that we're going to come to resolution and better understanding. We, we need to use the media as a source of information to highlight issues for us, but you can't take their opinion as the only valid opinion. It is an opinion. Um, the, the whole fair, balanced, unbiased media, it doesn't exist. Um, maybe it never did. Maybe it never did. So I hate to, to wrap up on kind of a downer like that on uh, Easter. I'm going to go celebrate Easter with my family and my grandchildren. Um, please do the same thing. Thank you for joining me today. We'll be putting this into a podcast and you can, you can listen to the podcast uh, later on. This is Alan Alley for Alley Pacero and my friend James Ball. Happy Easter. Thanks for listening. This has been Allie and Passero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Passero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.